Hello, and welcome back to the PRS podcast, the Pluralistic Rabbinical Seminary's official podcast. We can be found at jewishpluralism.org. I am your host, Rabbi Sandy Zisser, not joined today by my usual co-host, Rabbi Patrick Bollier. Today, I am flying solo. I am here to talk about Purim and to do a little bit of a teaching today about Purim, talking about the topic of did Esther finish what Saul started? So before we begin, I'd like to give a big shout out for the original teaching of this to me by Rabbi Zach Sitkin of Bethel Synagogue, who uh, shared this teaching with me a few weeks ago. And we are pleased to bring you a version of it today. There is a source sheet that can be found in the show notes. That source sheet was also based on the original source sheet that Rabbi Sitkin had created. If you pause this podcast now to open up that sheet, you can follow along in what we're doing. So take a minute, pause now, get the link, and rejoin us. So we begin with Shmuel Aleph, Samuel 1, chapter 9, verse 2, with a little bit of genealogy. The genealogy is definitely important here, so pay attention. There's a man of Benjamin whose name is Kish, who has a son whose name is Saul. So I want you to remember that, because that's an important piece here. So now we're going to jump a little further back into Exodus, verse seven, uh, chapter 17, verse 16. So Amalek came, Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So this is the moment where Amalek comes and attacks Israel as they're leaving Egypt from the rear. And attacking the rear of a convoy is usually made up of the women, children, and the elderly or the infirm the people who can't walk fast enough to be in the front of the crowd. And that's what Amalek chooses to attack. Now, we all know that story, right, that we are attacked from the rear. Moses then, in Exodus chapter 17, tells Joshua to pick some troops and to go do battle with Amalek. And Moses continues and says that I'll station myself on top of a hill with God's staff in my hand. And Joshua did as Moses told him to and went to fight Amalek. Moses, Aaron, and, and Hur go up to the mountaintop, and whenever Moses held his hands up, Israel would prevail, but whenever he let his hands down, Amalek would prevail. But of course, Moses' hands grew heavy, because if you've ever had your hands above your head long enough, you know that the blood circulation doesn't work. So Aaron and Hur put a stone underneath Moses so he could sit down, and then they held up Moses' arms so that Joshua would overwhelm the people of Amalek with the sword. And then God said to Moses, inscribe this in a document as a reminder and read it out loud to Joshua. I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it Adonai Nisi. Adonai is my banner. And Moses says it means hand upon the throne of God, will be at war with Amalek throughout the ages. So here we have the clue in that we are not going to have to do a one and done with Amalek, that we're going to be dealing with Amalek throughout the ages. And there are many people who say that any bad people in the world, tyrants, dictators, people like that, are descendants of Amalek. And that's a tradition of, uh, for some. So now back to our story. We now jump back to Samuel 1, chapter 15, verses 1 to 34. It's a long piece, but it has a lot of detail in it that we're going to talk about. So it begins with 
Shmuel with Samuel, the prophet, saying to Saul, that I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. Therefore, listen to the Lord's command, Samuel says. Thus said the Lord, I am exacting the penalty for what Amalek did to Israel, for the assault he made upon them on the road, on their way up from Egypt. Now go, attack Amalek, and prescribe all that belongs to him. Spare no one, but kill alike men and women, infants and sucklings, oxen and sheep, camels and asses. So it's a very specific decree for Saul to accomplish. Go attack Amalek and wipe them out. Spare no one. So Saul, of course, goes and puts troops together. It's about 200,000 men on foot and about 10,000 men of Judah. And he advances on the city of Amalek in the Wadi. And Saul said to the Canaanites to withdraw because they lived among the Amalekites and the, the, the Canaanites were on good terms with, the, with Israel and they did not want them to be accidentally destroyed along with the Amalek nation. As it goes, the battle rages and you have Saul and the Israelites victorious, except instead of destroying everyone, Saul captured King Agag of Amalek alive. He prescribed all the people, putting them to the sword, but Saul and the troops spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the secondborn, that w- and they wouldn't kill them. They only killed off the cheap and worthless animal stock. Now, this is, of course, almost exactly what God wanted them to do, right? It's the, the decisions were very clear. Destroy Amalek, spare no one and nothing. And yet here they are. Saul almost does the right thing, but he doesn't. He spares the best of the crop, the best of the animals, and King Agag. And the word of the Lord then came back to Samuel, back to Shmuel, and said, Oh my gosh, basically. Oh my me, right? God would say, I regret that I made Saul king, for he has turned away from me and has not carried out my commands. Samuel was distressed, and he entreated the Lord all night long. Early in the morning, Samuel went to meet Saul, and when he did, he says to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have fulfilled the Lord's command, right? That's what Saul's like all high and mighty about. And then Samuel says, but wait a minute. So what's the the sound of the sheep that I hear in my ears and the lowing of oxen that I hear? And Saul's response was that he brought them from the Amalek nation, for the troops spared the choices of the sheep and oxen for sacrifices to God. So on one level, Saul looks like he's doing something good. He's saying, no, no, I spared them all because I want to sacrifice them to God. It'd be a shame to destroy them all. And Samuel says to Saul, stop, stop, just stop. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul, of course, thinking that things were good, says, yeah, tell me, speak. And Samuel says, you may look small to yourself, but you are the head of the tribes of Israel. The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission saying, go and prescribe the sinful Amaleks. Make war on them until you have exterminated them. Why did you disobey the Lord by swooping down on the spoils and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Now, of course, Saul at this moment is taken aback because uh, he thought he was doing the right thing by sparing these animals. 
and the king and says, but I did obey the Lord. I performed the mission on which the Lord sent me. I captured King Agag of Amalek and I prescribed Amalek and the troops took from the spoils some sheep and oxen, the best of what they had to sacrifice to God. And Samuel said, no, no, no. Does the Lord really want burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as the obedience of God's command? clearly you're making a mistake here. He says, like, God doesn't want the sacrifices of these animals. God wants you to listen to to God. And then, of course, because of this rejection of God's command, God rejects Saul as king. So Saul then says to Samuel, I did wrong to transgress God's commands. He admits to it. He says, okay, I made a mistake, but I was afraid that the troops would would not listen to me and they would kill me and take the the the, the cr- crops and the and the flocks anyway. So here you have another side. Right? Saul is not believing in God and and thinking of what would go on. So he asks for his forgiveness and he wants to come back and bow to God. And Samuel said to him, "I will not go back with you for you have rejected the Lord's command and the Lord has rejected you as king." As Samuel turns to leave Saul grabs onto a corner of his robe and robe and tears it. Right. And Samuel says, the Lord has this day torn the kingship over Israel away from you and given it to another who is worthier than you. And then there's a little bit, bit more back and forth. And then Saul goes with him. And so Samuel followed Saul back and Saul bowed to God. And Samuel said, bring me King Agag of Amalek. And Agag says, ah, a bitter death is at hand. Samuel then says, as your sword has bereaved women, so shall your mother be bereaved among women. And Saul then cuts down Agag. He kills Agag right in front of God at Gilgal, where Saul wants to sacrifice these animals. Then Samuel leaves and Saul went back to his home. So Saul never finishes this wiping out of Amalek. And in fact, King Agag is killed off by the prophet as opposed to the king. So it, you're left a little open-ended. Okay? Now, fast forward to the story of Esther, chapter 2 in Esther, verse 5 and 6. In the fortress of Shushan lived a Jew by the name of Mordechai. Follow the genealogy. Son of, son of Kish, a Benjaminite. Well, who's the son of Kish, right? Saul. So Mordechai is a direct descendant of Saul because of Kish. So follow where that goes in. So all of a sudden you are now having Mordechai, not just this random Jew living in Shushan, but a descendant of Kish, the Benjaminite, whose son was Saul. So there's a relationship here. If that wasn't enough, right? So you jump to to verse 1 in chapter 3, that King Ahasuerus promoted Haman, son of Hamatath the Agagite. So here we have the Agagite, Haman, which is related to Amalek. It's the same people. So you have Haman, a descendant of Amalek, and Mordechai, a descendant of Saul. And by association, Esther is also related to Saul because she is related to Mordechai. So you have, again, this 
converging battle between Saul and Amalek here in the Esther story. And of course, as we know, the Esther story happens that Esther ultimately, with the help of her uncle Mordechai, exposed Haman's plan and the king wipes him out, but not just wipes out Haman, but his all of his sons as well. And if you realize, it's the wiping out of the entire line. This entire line of Amalek is wiped out through this action that we are saved from in Purim. So the idea that Esther and Mordechai are descendants of Kish, who are also related to Saul, have this quarrel here in Persia with this character named Haman, who is a descendant of the Agagites, who are Amalek, all of a sudden you, who are then defeated, but not just defeated, but wiped out, the whole purpose of having Ahasuerus kill off Haman and his sons is ending the line of Haman, right? There's no coming back from that, which is seen as a killing off of Amalek and utterly destroying them, which Saul could not do way back in Samuel 1. So is is this story of Esther just a, a story that is... A, you know, a great story of Jewish heroism and you know saving the people, or does it have a deeper meaning to it where the idea and the concept that the Esther story, the story of Purim, is actually the never-ending battle against Amalek and against oppression and, and evil, and it takes Esther and Mordechai to fulfill and finish what Saul could not do because Saul could not wipe out Amalek, but Esther and Mordechai make it happen. And yes, Ahasuerus is the one that carries it out, but without Mordechai and Esther, this would never have happened. Now, not to end this way, because we're not talking about, you know, genocide or or wiping out of a people. Hasidic masters say that Amalek is not physical. It's not a physical person. We're t- when we talk about wiping out Amalek, we're talking about wiping out the Amalek inside of us. The idea that we all have the ability and the possibility of evil and being swayed to the darkness, to use a Star Wars phrase, right? That it's always there. That, that dark force is always upon us. And it's our job to work every day to blot out Amalek and to do to do that, we have to be strong enough in our conviction and to carry forth even though things look dark. And that's the message of Purim, right? That we, in the odds that are against us normally, we need to continue to blot out Amalek and to blot out this evil inclination, the Yetzahara, as they call it, all the time. So as we move forward, that's my wish to you. Continue celebrating Purim, enjoy Purim, have a great time, but remember to always blot out that evil thoughts and evil inclination and be the best person that you can be. Chag Sameach, have a wonderful Purim, and if you like what you're hearing on our podcasts, please consider subscribing on any of the platforms that you're listening to to us at the moment. If you'd like to learn more about our seminary, the Pluralistic Rabbinical Seminary. Please visit us at jewishpluralism.org. We will see you next time.